Today's big question, who's watching women's sports? Hey everyone, I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm here to give you the compassionate conservative argument for America's most debated questions. You may have been hearing lately about the Equality Act, a bill that would add sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes under federal civil rights law. So I did read the entire act, and in typical government style, it's kind of dull, unreadable vortex with unidentifiable goals, but it does open with a list of grievances about the inequalities that are facing women and the members of the LGBTQ community. The bill presents these kind of large sweeping statements, and I'm only going to speak to the statements about women, but I did not relate to really any of the claims about how I as a woman experience, quote, widespread discrimination. I mean, yes, I have had people who have been complete buttheads to me, but I think that's really just part of being a person, and it's rarely inherently tied to my womanhood. But today we're not going to focus on the entire act. Today we're going to narrow in on the hotly debated topic of how the Equality Act will impact women's sports. Will the inclusion of transgender athletes lead to the erasure of female athletic accomplishment? And if so, is that just the unavoidable costs of true inclusion? But first, I want to tell you about our friends at American Adversaries Radio Network. American Adversaries Radio Network is the fastest-growing local talk radio show in Metro Orlando. Their successful format brings important political topics to their listening audience with an enlightening, humorous, and entertaining style. For more information on how to listen and engage with the show, go online to AmericanAdversaries.com. Or if you're a Central Florida resident, you can listen Monday through Fridays from 5 to 7 p.m. and on Sundays from 5 to 8 p.m. on AM 950 and FM 94.9, The Answer. All right, I want to make an important introduction. We have in our studio with us our producer, Cha. Cha's the one making all these magical sounds happen. Hey, Cha. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? <laughs> so we're going to open today. We're going to talk first about a group called the Women's Sports Policy Group. So mm-hmm. I found these women online. Or this Really, it's not just a group of women. It's They are a bipartisan group of former elite athletes and sports administrators with significant experience in women's sports policymaking and LGBTQ advocacy. So one of their main stances is on this topic of inclusion of transgender athletes in women's sports is they believe they have a that we can find a middle way, that there is a possibility that we all end up happy. So I was attracted to them in their website. One of the things that right off the jump they talk about on the website when they're laying out the issue is that sports have been continuously sex segregated for over a hundred years across disciplines where there are, they say, male sex-linked advantages that affect competitive opportunities for females. So now I'm reading off their website a little bit. They talk about how Congress passed Title IX in 1972, and they approved its implementation, blah, 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 but it explicitly permitted, explicitly permitting girls and women's sports to exist separate from boys and men's sports. They say on the website that law and sports policymakers understood that from the onset of male puberty, Male bodies develop such as they are as a group, faster, stronger, and more powerful than female bodies as a group. The performance gap between male and female athletes that emerges from that point typically ranges from 8 
to 20% depending on the sport and event, and up to 50% where explosive power and complex movement skills are pivotal. Wow. So right off the bat, essentially the, the argument that many of us have known innately is that men as a group will athletically swamp women right, as a group, right. <laughs> which we hate. We, right. I hate it. <laughs> so, but so I know a lot of women who are stronger and faster than men. So, right. And that's a common, a common argument against this. So for example, I'm a very athletic woman. Right. I work out like every single day. I am an instructor, a trainer. And if you put me up against a man, for example, in the extremes who sits on the couch every single day and eats pizza and rarely rises from the couch, <laughs> I am going to have a severe advantage over that man athletically. Okay. But when we're talking about athletes, we can assume that they are training to be at the top of their game. So you're going to have um, everybody performing at the top. You're never going to see me against a couch potato sure. ever. Okay. It's not, <laughs> not going to happen. But I think what is hard to wrestle with here is that it doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Right? Like, I know I don't like that. I'm always the kind of, there's those like things that go around on social media where they say, the teacher's like, can I get a strong boy to help? And there's all these pictures of girls carrying like 40 chairs just to prove like, I am strong. (laughs) And I'm definitely that girl. But no matter how I feel about it, science has dictated that there is a biological advantage that men have over me. And I found that to be true in my life. Um, and a lot of women have, and, we, and I'm sure that's frustrating, but it, it doesn't matter because it's just like, for example, Cha, producer Cha yeah. is like five inches shorter than me. So at least, at least if not more, much shorter than me. <laughs> so if producer Cha and I were going to have a competition for who could reach the top the cup on the top shelf first i would have a biological advantage over cha because cha is so much shorter than i am so it's not fair it's not a commentary on cha's um who she is as a human being it's not about your innate quality as a human being but you are in fact shorter than me so if we were doing limbo for example (laughs) you you would have an innate structural advantage over me and i really appreciate that by the way right i have an advantage equality i do appreciate that (laughs) we appreciate the tall and the short people here on something burger (laughs) but really whether we like it or not men and women uh have different athletic capacity and that's just a fact Uh oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's about that time again. The ladies of the Something Burger Studio have a little present that we like to give out every once in a while a gift from us to a very special someone. Many of us know this woman as the creator of one of the most beloved and magical stories of the boy with a scar on his face. But now she can be found with little warning flags next to her tweets. <laughs> JK Rowling, come on down and get your cancel card. Okay. Anyway, thanks, JK. (laughs) We just wanted to give her this gift today because she's pretty much always up to bat on the issue of gender identity and how it might negatively affect women. 
So I wanted to dig into that a little bit because we know if any of us are on social media, we've seen that J.K. Rowling is a transphobe. J.K. Rowling is uh, essentially people are leaving the beautiful, amazing world of Harry Potter because they're worried that J.K. Rowling is transphobic. So I wanted to go straight to the source on this. So I went to her website and on her website, she has a really emotional tell all about her experience speaking out on her thoughts on gender identity. Interesting. And she has a few different quotes in here I wanted to pull out because I think they're important. She said, one of them is, but as many women have said before me, woman is not a costume. Woman is not an idea in a man's head. Woman is not a pink brain, a liking for Jimmy Choo's or any of the other sexist ideas now somehow touted as progressive. Moreover, the, quote, inclusive language that calls female people menstruators and people with vulvas strikes many women as dehumanizing and demeaning. Mm. She goes on, she connects this back to the standard now that to be a woman, all you have to do is say that you are a woman. And she says, I believe for the first time in this tell-all that she's a survivor of sexual assault, so she's concerned about the repercussions this could have on women's safety. What I think is most interesting about this, and I've said this before, is that I feel that the feminist movement in its own right is starting to lap itself, essentially. She She had another quote in here. She said, if sex isn't real, I believe this is a tweet, actually. If sex isn't real, there's no same sex attraction. And if sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. She said, I know and I love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. She also went on and she said, the idea that women like me who have been empathetic to trans people for decades, feeling kinship because they're vulnerable in the same way as women to male violence, quote, hate trans people because they think sex is real and has lived consequences is nonsense. I respect every trans person's right to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable. I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basics of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female and I don't believe it's hateful to say so. So I think uh, really this issue is so it represents something so much bigger than sports, which is why so many people who aren't even involved in sports have jumped onto it, because it's not about the inalienable rights of people who are transgender, because their rights, uh, of course, I believe as a conservative, come from God, can't be taken away by man. But it's the idea that this new gender identity ideology um, is erasing the people who who. identify with their gender at all it's like erasing the idea of gender at all it's not that um it's including more transgender people it's the erasing of the concept of gender which gives like jk rowling said it helps people to meaningfully discuss their lives i i I really i've been trying to figure out why this issue bothers me essentially like what is it what is it about this that gets under my skin and I think it is that that I'm afraid I'm going to lose this opportunity for me as a woman to meaningfully discuss my life and talk about right some of the things that I've always known to be innately about me as a woman that being a woman like again like JK Rowling said it's not about what I do or liking pink or liking clothes and and it's almost like it used to be that feminism said women can be anything that was like the generation we were raised on Mm -hmm. me and producer cha um, (laughs) who are both like women in our mid-20s we were raised with like women doesn't mean you can be anything but now it's like once again women are about what we do so it's like what what does it even like with gender ideology like what what does it even mean to be a woman now is it like this thing in flux that happens only in our heads is it our actions it's 
I think that especially women our age are being asked to pretend as if we weren't raised on the the former type of feminism that said women can be everything right. and that gender is irrelevant. And now we're being asked to pretend that like essentially sex is now irrelevant. It, it, it's very strange, this yeah. whole like, gender ideology. Right. But so I, so that's where I wanted to dig into with this was, okay, so, so it's more than, you know, JK Rowling. And of course that caused a lot of controversy. Harry Potter himself kind of came out and said, you know, he, he tweeted against, against is not the right word, but he tweeted back essentially through the Trevor project saying you transgender women are women and any statement to the contrary, um, what is it erases the identity and dignity of the transgender people and it goes against all advice given by professional healthcare associates who have far more expertise on the matter than i do according to the trevor project 78 percent of transgender non-binary youth report being the subject of discrimination due to their gender identity so obviously that's wrong bullying on any level absolutely is wrong i think that that's a, a base statement most people can make saying nobody should be bullied ever i think <laughs> um, yeah so that's never what I'm trying to make the argument for here is that no matter how we delve into gender ideology, it's never going to be an excuse to treat our neighbors and our friends poorly because I believe ultimately everybody is a child of God. Everybody's given inalienable rights by God and it's never okay for human beings to, to take that away. So it's never about the innate quality of somebody as a human being and as a creation of God. That's never what this is about, but we do need to be able to have a nuanced discussion about this this gender ideology, a gender identity ideology is very new. It's like, and we're all having to pretend that we've been, like we've known it forever. Yeah. Like we've always known like girls go to college to get more knowledge and boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> like, <laughs> like at an early age, I was like, oh yeah, boys and girls are different. We're born right. different. Right. And I, that's just the case because, okay, so then that led me on this this new rabbit hole, right? We're so right. far away from women's sports. That's just what it is. But <laughs> it it led me down this new rabbit hole of what is gender identity ideology, essentially. Um, essentially. Yeah, what, what is it? Yeah, no, exactly. So um, <laughs> I read a commentary by Ryan Anderson. He wrote a book that's been ripped off Amazon amazon called when harry became sally and it's about that's right okay so it's been mm -hmm. it's so if you want to read the book you can't get it on amazon <laughs> um, but he did write a commentary you can get that online so he talked about that essentially at the heart of this is that people are what they claim to be regardless of any contrary evidence that essentially people are the gender gender that they prefer and that that's kind of the claim that it's mostly about a heart and a mind set more okay. than any kind of evidence it used to be they say now a person's sex is now the terminology is that they're assigned at birth but even back in 2005 the human rights campaign used to refer to it as birth sex and physical sex but now we're saying it's assigned at birth and there's these um studies coming out saying like at like two years old like that's when you know your gender yeah. okay <laughs> right so the phrase um sex assigned at birth is now favored over a physical sex or birth sex because it makes room for the idea that gender identity is actually your basis of your sex so if you're like me i was like what is the difference between sex and gender like mm -hmm. i don't even i don't even know and and honestly the more you delve into gender identity theory the blurrier it gets it's like muddier <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's like, okay, so there was the argument recently was that gender is a social construct. Remember right. that? Like right. when we were younger, right. we we're like, gender's a construct. Like that was like the hip thing to say. Well, it was I mean, even as, as recent ago as college. All right. We were, in, co- we were right. in college that long ago and we were all like, gender's a construct. And that was like a joke. Mm-hmm. And I imagine a lot of people who are my age, we remember that. We, we do remember that idea. But it was gender's a construct. Biological sex is the reality. Yes. So male and female sex wise was real, but the gender that you performed was right. the construct. But now it's that gender identity is kind of the reality and biological sex is the construct really right think about it like now it's the <laughs> producer child is just rubbing her head <laughs> but that's kind of where this goes and then i know people have asked the question does this apply to all mammals or humans unique in this but do ha- animals behave differently or is this and the answer most people are like no like are we going to get to the point where it's like a dog at two years old chooses their gender and that's the reality, right? Like that's the new reality. I I don't know. You know, that seems like the natural progression of this. Yeah. yeah. Where this goes is that in a little bit of time, if, if we're mammals, <laughs> duh. And if other mammals maybe will have this kind of opportunity to choose their gender. I think what's the strangest about this is that I feel as if I'm being asked to pretend that this is always how it's been and that this is really clear and like easy to understand. Right. No, absolutely. I, and I was actually just about to ask you, can you, can you run that back one more time? Yeah. Can you, can you <laughs> just maybe condense, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. so you're talking about the difference between like the construct of gender and the construct of Correct. sex and how it's applied in gender identity ideology. Correct mm-hmm 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 right okay <laughs> so okay yeah before, it is a hard one before um ben Shapiro always says like i'm old enough to remember <laughs> <laughs> i'm old enough to remember when gender which used to kind of be like how you behaved i suppose like masculine feminine how you outwardly yes you're, they talked about performing your gender and things right. like that like it used to be that like you your gender was a construct. So like you could be born a man sex wise. Right. Male. You're born a male, but like you don't have to live out your life that way. Like you can be feminine as a man or masculine as a woman. And that was like the kind of like progressive thought move. Right. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Fine. Fine with that. Fine with that. But now it's that your gender, that is the reality. The what you feel inside is the reality and sex, male, female, maybe even divided by your anatomy. That's the construct. Okay. This isn't what I think, but sure. this is what <laughs> this is what this is the, the current science. There's not science. It's the current ideology. I think that's Understood. a good distinction okay. because it's not the science is developing. And to even say that is blasphemous for some reason, but we do not have the science to back up claims that are this big i looked for it what we have is a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts and a lot of expression of personal identity and how we're worried that if people are not able to express their personal identity that that will cause like some kind of negative riff in society but the science is different the science just like i said the comparison to other mammals like if humans choose their gender why don't other mammals choose their gender right the science is very muddy. This is not a scientific argument. This is an ideological argument, almost a religious argument. Okay. That we're into now. And when I say religious, I mean 
that we're using gender ideology has become a religion, an unquestionable religion. And wow. <laughs> did that help? Yeah. Okay. So this, this is interesting too, because if the trueness of you is your gender identity, which supposedly you choose at like two or three or something, or maybe later in life and the construct is sex, then how does medicine behave? Right. Right. Like do, do you now, like we know men and women, get different dosage of medicine, different types of medicine. They experience different medical things. But if that's a construct now, like where does medicine go from here? 100%. Uh, you know, I, I come from a medical mm-hmm. uh, field and um, we we do work with uh, members of the transgender community and it still matters to our providers um, what sex they are right at birth of course because it it depends on the type of medication they receive the type of um care they receive within our facility so well and that's scientific right that's what you're talking about and 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 i'm not a scientist i'm also not a gender ideology specialist i'm a i'm a normal person who's trying to understand what is happening in our society for sure where is this all coming from right it has these like deep roots so okay one thing that i think is interesting that that shows how much this movement is evolving and i swear we're going to come back to sports eventually everyone we're coming back but (laughs) is that i remember this in college and we were talking earlier and you said you don't remember this job but they had something on campus called the gender bread person okay and that's this was only four years ago where you would go make a gender bread person and we were i was a theater major so we were in the building with women and gender studies so we were all up in this all the time so we made a gender bred person and the gender bred person was supposed to teach us about gender identity and the relationship to sex and it was very confusing but it was they were like made it cute because you could eat it so you would make the gender bred person and they said that gender identity is how you in your head define your gender based on how much you align or don't align with what you understand to be the options for the gender. So you would get options, right? When you're making your man, you could either be womanness, manness, two spirit, or gender queer. Okay, I, I, I guess I'm womanness. And when I made mine, I was like, just a, a straight woman. <laughs> okay. But then you could have gender expression, which is the way you present. So again, there it is. It's like about what you do. Like how so you, there are multiple layers to yeah, choose. Yeah, when you make a genderbred man, there's like four or five layers. Wow. Okay. And they're all related to different parts of your body. So there's one like on your heart, one on your pelvis, one on... This was in four years ago. This was the genderbred man. I'm about to tell you the genderbred man has been cut. What? But hold on. Let me tell okay, you a little okay, bit more. But, right. I'm, but it has been cut. So, so first you had your gender identity, then your gender expression. Then they had what was called your biological sex. Okay. That, that's why it got cut, but okay. biological sex defined as the physical sex characteristics you're born with genitalia, body shape, voice, pitch, body hair, hormones, chromosomes. So that was man, woman, male, female. Okay. Okay. Then finally there was sexual orientation, which is who you're sexually attracted to and separately who you're romantically attracted to. So you could either have women, females, femininity or men, males, masculinity. Okay. So this was the old gender bread, gender bread i'm saying gender bread man okay the old gender <laughs> bread man well, like gingerbread man yeah but but gender. It was, but you made it around christmas time understood on college great parents stop sending your kids to college <laughs> it's a waste of your time and your money as a recent graduate this is just a little piece of advice parents don't do it this is what you paid for 
the gingerbread man. Anyway, so that's a separate thing. But I also majored in the arts. <laughs> maybe if I It's made, a little different. Maybe if I was like an engineering major, I wouldn't have had time for the gingerbread man. But I made one, okay? So, <laughs> but now the new allies of... And I want to separate this. There are people who are transgender and then there are transgender activists and they don't always represent each other. And we, we know that's true. Like people who are um, female activists don't represent all females. Right. I want to make that differentiation. I'm talking about the activists of this. Some people who are transgender are just living their life. Right. Not talking about that. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about activists. Yeah. Right. So that's the only people that are in play right now. Now we have a gender unicorn. Genderbred person is out actually it wasn't the genderbred man it was like the genderbred person i'm sure it wasn't the genderbred man but because there were complaints that the body of the the genderbred person was like too manly and like too defined essentially so they're like okay so the the only way we could explain human gender is through a unicorn which if you think about that for too long it just gets worse and worse (laughs) so they wanted they changed it from your biological sex to your sex assigned at birth. That's since we left college. That's changed. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so who... Who, who changed it? Who's oh. assigning the sex at birth? We who, we are the two or three-year-old... Wait, no, wait. Who's assigning it? Yeah, like if it's sex assigned at birth... Oh, that's assigned like... I don't know. Your doctor. <laughs> right? Like, who's assigning it? Your mom and dad? Like... I don't know. <laughs> I didn't learn that in the gender unicorn oh, class. You're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> okay, but anyway, according to um, some education resources for it was um, the trans student education resources, they said that biological sex is an ambiguous word that has no scale and no meaning besides that it is related to some sex characteristics. Roll that back. Biological sex is an ambiguous word that has no scale and no meaning besides that it is related to some sex characteristics. So being born a woman has no, no. scale and or no meaning mean. other than our sex characteristics. So why would you even want to be a woman? Like if it has no meaning, what is that's what I find confusing. Yes, absolutely. Like J.K. Rowling said, if there's no sex, there's no same sex attraction. Or if there's no like what i find to be most confusing about this ideology again the more you go through it you're like well why would you what is a woman why would i ever want to be a woman if being a woman is just about my sex characteristics except for it's not because it's what's up inside and so what i do but also it's not what i do because i can do anything i want yeah that that's the rub (laughs) right there right there that's truly the rub so uh, okay also they said i think i said this that the, the new I want to say science, the new, uh, the professional association for transgender health said that gender identity is usually established early in life, two or three. How do we know that? I don't know. Are we interviewing a bunch of two and three? <laughs> right. Or that. And, and I'm still. What just... gender are you? Also, do you have to go potty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it still begs the question for me is who's assigning the sex at birth? Ooh. Right. I know. It's just. Well, I think it's like society, you know? Because of our genitalia, our sex characteristics. Okay. The man jaw. <laughs> the man. The man. <laughs> but essentially, it's if there are no meaningful differences between men and women, then, then why switch? Like right. I feel like it almost erases transgenderism, transgenderism even to say there's no gender. Like if there's no innate differences between men and women, then like what is the natural end of this? Right. That's my, I I just don't know, but okay. 
Are you tracking me, Cha? Are we? Okay. So all of this comes back. I keep looping around. I'm like, okay, how did we get to this? Like, how, why are we at this point with the unicorns and the, and, and the like men and women are everything, but also nothing. And maybe you should be one, except for there's no reason to be one because it's nothingness. How do we get to that? Do you know, Cha? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you. So one of my ideas is that there's something called expressive individualism. Here we go. So expressive individualism. I'm going to put it into terms that like we know. You do you. You be you. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. Things, oh, okay. things we've said. Right. Be you. You do you, boo. You do you, boo. <laughs> I, I, I've never said that before. <laughs> but just the you do you part. That That is how expressive individualism, those are kind of the slogans of it. Like you, and I think we were all fed these slogans and repeated these slogans and they feel really nice to say, like, I do want to be me. Like, yeah, I am going to like find myself and like, I've been looking for myself and I'm going to follow myself and me and me and me and myself and my expression of myself. Okay. So that's the kind of like colloquial, what is expressive individualism? It's about, ultimately it's about me finding the most honest and um, authentic, which is a word we say a lot, my authentic self and then expressing it to the world, right? So what is the version of me that is most authentic? And, but also very importantly, how do I express that to everyone around me? Right. So it's about authenticity, but also it's about how I express my authenticity. So. Which sounds. Sounds good. No, it sounds good, right? It's super enticing. That's how we got here because it sounds like, duh. Love that. And it's not innately a bad idea. It's just every idea could end up somewhere we don't like it right so they there's somebody um Yuval Yuval Levin Yuval I'm sorry Yuval Yuval maybe Yuval <laughs> Levin <laughs> he said in the fractured republic um that the term expressive individualism suggests not only a desire to pursue one's own path but also a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one own, one's own identity it is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are and also to live in a society by fully asserting who you are. You do you. Boo, boo. Boo. But it's, um, he goes on in that quote to say that the capacity of individuals to define, to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights, and it is given pride of place in our self-understanding. So it's like the purpose and the highest moral purpose of your life and expressive individualism is to find your deepest self and express it. That okay. is the the pinnacle of the religion of expressive individualism. Who you are expressed. So this has a point. Okay. And it's about sports. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark Sayers wrote a book called The Disappearing Church. A lot of church people um, seem to be talking about this expressive individualism because I think it is contrary to a lot of um, ideas about God, like that right. ultimately the God is you and you serve yourself. Right, which would be exactly contrary to what? Right, to the Bible. To the Bible. <laughs> right. So, in the, so, but that's what expressive individualism is. The truest truth is the truth of yourself. Okay. And that's it. And that idea gives me anxiety 
does anyone else out there? yeah because I, I barely trust myself right i can't be the truest truth right, can't, it can't, can't be me <laughs> <laughs> i don't want it to be me it needs to be somebody different than me somebody with you know better god ideally right but anyway so mark sayers he laid out these different statements of kind of the belief that define expressive individualism i'm only going to read a few but it was one is that the highest good is individual freedom happiness self-definition and self-expression boom highest good highest good that's it that's it that's it they also said traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulations, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, or self-definition and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Wow. That's what we're seeing. That's a big claim. Huge. Yeah. Who is this guy? Mark Sayers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Read that one one more time. Traditions, religion, received wisdom regulations and social ties that restrict individual freedom happiness self-definition and self-expression must be reshaped deconstructed or destroyed wow mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is this is another one that's good the primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Therefore, social justice is less about economic or class inequality and more about issues of equality relating to an individual identity, self-expression, and personal autonomy. That's us. That's that, America. Yeah, it really is. So that's what we kind of... I think when you look at a lot of our culture, it's explained by this, this concept of expressive individualism. Absolutely. That if you don't participate in my expression of myself, that cannot you I cannot tolerate that that is intolerable so if if somebody has a religious view that doesn't align with the modern gender ideology that is intolerable and it must be exterminated essentially because right. because it conflicts with what is the highest good and if you think of it in terms of religion if it becomes a a battle of good versus evil when you are fighting satan taking down everybody makes sense which starts to make sense of why people like jk rowling are so attacked right because they represent the ultimate evil if personal expression is the ultimate good right 100 percent. so jk rowling must be exterminated because not only she is questioning she's bringing into question somebody else's personal expression and that's too dangerous in our society right now doesn't that very that is very tautological that mm -hmm. thought mm -hmm. is that the very thought i mean it, it is my personal expression to live out my religion right so how does that work it, because it's more it's not just about uh, because my personal expression is threatened if somebody does not participate in my expression of myself oh that is the threat i don't again I'm, that's not what i yeah, think no, but that is kind of when i'm trying to articulate the opposite side of this sure that is what we're talking about. And I think it's important we know what we're talking about. Because, again, I was like, why does this not sit right with me? Like, Michaela, like, you don't even play sports. Like, why, <laughs> why do you care about this? Right. But it's because it represents this bigger idea that there is no such thing as being a man or a woman. And if you even question that, even if you're even like, hey, I'm, I'm not sure if it would be fair for me if I were an athlete to compete against men. That it's like, okay, that's the most horrible hateful thing you've ever said because it interferes with somebody else's self-expression 
It doesn't necessarily, and, and that is considered hateful, that, that interference, even though that's not necessarily hateful. Hateful would be what we know to hate. Right. <laughs> hateful would be with me going up and punching somebody in the face because of the way they choose to express themselves. Hateful is not when I don't participate in the way you choose to express yourself. So if I choose to express myself and it's not something that floats your bow, you don't have to be my friend. You don't have to participate in my life, essentially. Right. And that's not a hateful thought. But now it is. Yes. And it's, it's why we have to police not only our actions, but our actual thoughts. That's why we have thought police now that are like watching out. Because if you even dare to con- if come against somebody's personal expression, like you, you must be eliminated. And that's where this all comes from, which is why people are afraid to speak out about women in sports. And it's why so many people are speaking out about women in sports. Okay, so, so what is the solution here? Can we include transgender athletes without reversing the progress of women athletics? Is there a way to slow the tide of this gender ideology and still make sure we're inclusive and loving to a population in our community? We'll find out after this break. All right. So we're going to bring it back to sports, like I promised. I did an interview with a wonderful female athlete. Her name is Callista Ariel, and she is part of the Greenville Elite Track Club and their post-collegiate Olympic development program. So I just want to preface this by saying that this was one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. Callista is truly a beautiful, lovely person who is very dedicated to her sport, lives, breathes, eats her eats her sport and that's one of the things I love about athletes especially at an elite level is that they have this special drive like this special commitment and the lifestyle of what they have to give up to be able to participate in sports I find to be so inspiring yeah and so I just I loved to sit down and talk with her and I want to break down we had a two-hour conversation we're not going to play that whole conversation so I tried to pull out as much as I could that would keep our keep the life of what our conversation was really about so there were a few main things one was that she said that this issue of transgender women competing in women's sports is not a big issue (laughs) i thought that was important to bring up she said women athletes are really not worried about this um she was saying that women athletes worry more about unequal coverage of their sports of limited female coaches of limited sponsorship opportunities and also that women athletes deal with body dysmorphia and other body image challenges that are related to their bodies being constantly scrutinized or sexualized and she mentioned that she she can't go running alone without getting catcalled and how when she goes to run she has places on her route that she knows she can run and hide if she's threatened and those are the issues that she's worried about right now as a female athlete I think that's important to recognize that she's said this other issue is much more of a political issue. It has not come up in her life, but I'm going to play her talking. That's super about interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to play. This is cut one. Cha. Um, we're going to talk a little, a little bit. Let her talk about how she feels how this is a non-issue in women's sports. Um, no one's asking us what we're worried about in sport when there's so many things that, you know, we worry about on a daily basis in our sport. And this is something that, you know, only crosses my mind when I see the controversy of, over it. Like it's something that really is not affecting me um, at the mo- moment. And I mean, I am in the sport. I mean, I eat, 
breathe, live running. I work at, at a running store. I'm, I live in a house of runners. I'm on a running team. I constantly am in contact with runners. Like all I do is talk about running. So um, it's such a, in, in the actual sport, it's such a like small topic that, you know, has been exemplified because, I mean, has been exacerbated because other, you know, people who are not usually in the sport are talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to share. She said that the politicization of this issue feels like being caught in a snowstorm. And I can imagine that's true. Anyone who has been made into a political weapon, essentially, that's no, that's no good for the women athletes who are just trying to be good at their sport and just trying to have a fair shot at, at their sport. So that was really important as a reminder to me that although I'm very interested in this as a political issue and we've just been talking about what does this issue represent, it represents a lot, but there are also women inside of this issue and, and men inside of this issue. There are people inside of this issue that are being affected by it who aren't necessarily wanting to be involved in the politics and the understanding of it. Like I've signed up to discuss these bigger issues, but somebody like Callista, she signed up to run. So I, I think it's our responsibility to find out a way to protect everybody's possibility of, that she just wants to run. And I think if America is functioning perfectly, Calista just gets to run. And that's what I want. Another thing is that I wanted to confirm with her from her experience. Again, she's an elite level runner. She's been running her whole life. She eats, breathes, lives running. I wanted to know for sure, are men really going to swamp women in your experience? So we're going to go to cut two. It took me a while to get this out of her, but this is what she said, basically. As a general whole, as an average, if I were, if all the women, you know, got together and did like all, like the same exact tra- training and all the men did the same exact training, they're going to have a different response and they're going to have a greater output in many things. Um, and, you know, the, the lines get blurred in, in some things like high, extreme. So she did say that as a runner, she would train a a man and a woman the same way. And that ultimately it comes back to the same training. But she did admit that there is probably going to be a greater output from men just because of some, um, I believe she called sex linked advantages or sex characteristic advantages. But I wanted to confirm that because that is kind of the basis of this entire discussion because there are no sex linked advantages, then this is not a problem. But our understanding from experience and science is that, in fact, there are. So this brought me to something about back to this gender ideology conversation again. Calista and I had a lovely two-hour conversation, and I wanted to know what she thought, what is a woman? Because we kept talking about how we needed more female coaches or how women needed to be better represented in the sport. So I said, okay, what is a woman? So we're going to go to cut three. What is a woman? a bunch of different like I think it's such a broad term and so when I say like oh we need to build up women I think we need to build up anyone who you know identifies as a woman because they're having those shared experiences and they're having that um like that like all of the injustices have happened to them all of those same experiences and so I think it's just what you decide you're like why that makes you a woman like I feel like I'm a woman because of my experiences like with my with the gender stereotypes with my sex characteristics with all that I think that all makes me a woman and so I think it's whatever you feel is valid um yeah so that's a great example of individual or expressive individualism 
right there. Um, the idea that it's whatever you think is valid. And I was listening to Calista and when we were talking about this, I was trying to answer this question for myself then in this modern world. Like, what does it really mean to be a woman? Um, and I do feel slightly minimized by the idea that it, some people have argued that a woman is a collection of our prejudice, our, essentially the negative things we've experienced, these negative gender stereotypes. And I thought, okay, that can't be it. Being a woman can't be just about being catcalled and sexualized and having body dysphoria. And that can't be it. That can't be what being a woman is. But then is it about, so it's not, it can't be, I was like, I can't be about my negative experiences or my mutual oppression with these other people. That's just not good enough for me. Like, okay, so is it about you know, what people are saying, like their sex characteristics. And, and anyway, I heard her answering this question and I, I I heard so many other women now trying to answer this question where before I felt like we were raising, we were getting to this point where women were like proud to be women. And I'm afraid that this movement is going to pull women away from that. Where it's yeah. like, if there's no such thing as a woman, why be proud? Like, why embrace your womanhood if it's just a combination of all of the negative things that happen to you? Yeah, it really cheapen, cheapens being a woman. There's got to be more than that. And there's got to be a way that we can celebrate these innate, beautiful things about being a woman without that being viewed as hateful. Because it's not. It's a, I, mean, I love being a woman. I have... I mean, I have a boyfriend and I look at him and I'm like, my God, we are so different. I am so glad that I am a woman. <laughs> you know, like, and I know, yeah. amen. Yeah. Cha's married. She knows. <laughs> but I mean, I love men. Like I absolutely love them. They're awesome. I don't, but I just still like sometimes when men get together and are, are talking, I'm like, man, we think so differently. Like you, and maybe it's nature, maybe it's nurture. I think it's a little bit of both because God created us separately, but I know that I just, I can't accept the idea that my womanhood is going, is, is just where we've landed right now. Like I can't accept that idea. But anyway, another thing that, um, I felt, I kept hearing Calista say, because she is a person that is, seems to me to be deeply empathetic and very kind and very willing to put other needs ahead of her own because she's a true sportsman I suppose it's funny to say sports sportswoman she's a true sportswoman where she loves the sport of running she loves what it has brought to her life it's not just about competition it's about the actual like benefit of the sports it's the sport itself and I could hear in her that with all of this controversy one of the main things I kept hearing come out is that we she said we talking about women athletes we don't want to hurt anyone there's this fear that we do not want to hurt anyone so we're gonna jump wow. jump to cut four when she was talking about how we just don't want to hurt anyone to to be fair like i you know i would like it to be as fair as possible um i mean uh, of course like i i work so hard you know and so many of the people around me we work so hard we spend like i mean i can't even tell you like the risk that we have on the line like i mean i'm working a job like i could be starting my career now but i'm doing this you know I spend all my days doing this. I make so many sacrifices and I consider them investments, but in so much of my life, I've, I've sacrificed for this sport. Um, and so it's not just, you know, it's not just like fun. It's like, it's, it's serious, you know? And so it's, but at this point, it's just really hard to say like what, what, because I don't want to like, 
I don't want to hurt anyone in the situation. And I, I think that's where the, the sticky thing where all of us like who are in women's athletics is, is like, we don't, we want to be accepting. We want to not hurt people because. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a basic compassionate argument and feeling that Callista right. is having is that, and, and I think that's why my protective woman instinct starts to jump in is that I feel like I do not want women to be afraid of hurting somebody by essentially acknowledging any kind of biological truths. Again, if the science is blurry, why are women being asked to make strong statements as if it is not? Do you know what I mean? Why are yeah, women being asked no, to deny? I think we we work so hard as women to gain advantages. And now here we are. Finally, we're like, we're doing it. We're living amazing, equal, we're fabulous lives. And I do not want to see this put women in a box because I do think one of the special things about women is that we are innately very compassionate and loving and kind and self-sacrificial. And I can imagine a world where women are like, okay, like I I just want to make sure nobody is hurt, which is a beautiful attribute of being a person. Like, and I think that's a fabulous thing. And it's very, it expresses like Callista's humanity, but how can we protect people from feeling like they are, I think there's just so much fear and so much fear of being hateful that people are not able to accurately express themselves. Right. <laughs> express. Expressivism. Right. I'm a victim of it all. <laughs> but I, that's what I'm. my heart hurts about in this is that this is an issue that represents so much more than women's athletics. Women athletics obviously have a lot of their own struggles that they're dealing with that are very important and also should be given time. And and yet I can feel it was hard for me to get women to talk to me about women athletes to talk to me about this out of fear of like, I'm afraid if I speak out about this, that like either I'll hurt someone or somebody will be upset with me. Right. And I don't think that there's any clear like science that we should feel like the science is not so clear that we should be embarrassed to question this at minimum. Like, we should feel empowered to ask real questions that are based in truly wanting to know yeah. what's best. Yeah, I definitely think that's where um, where I come from, too. And I know that as you have been researching this, you did. You know, it's just, I just want to know. Like, we just have questions surrounding this whole topic. and And I feel as if I'm being gaslit by pretending like it's all clear. Like, why are you asking questions? Like, this is obvious. Either you hate or you love. That's it. Right. And as a person who is, I, I'm a people pleaser. I do not want to make anyone upset. I related when she said, I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. So that's so effective on somebody like me who's compassionate, which is exactly why we wanted to start this podcast is because it is so easy to manipulate and gaslight compassionate people into being silent. And that is this topic has the potential and is doing that to many people who are afraid to just say like, well, I guess I'm not sure. Like a lot of people I think pretend to be sure. And at the expense, a lot of times, especially women of themselves. Yeah. We have to pretend. And right. I'm not okay with that. I'm just not okay with that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up here. Well, there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> so... To me, 
it is clear that gender ideology, expressive individualism, and women's sports will continue to run into each other. Women athletes like Callista just want to grind. They don't want to be weighed down by political battles. At the same time, this issue has brought to the forefront the innate complications in our new cultural ideas surrounding gender. In a world where personal expression reigns as the peak of morality, who will stand up for the people who have questions and concerns around losing their identity, opportunities, and even safety if they are denied the existence of the reality of biological sex that many of us hold to be true and many of us use to give greater meaning to our lives? Individual expressionism, which is the root of gender identity theory, ultimately enhances few to none of our lives, as personal expression is not the key to happiness. In our current culture, it has become socially dangerous to even question the sanctity of personal identity, even if it's in conflict with the developing science. People are bullied by activists who claim to represent inclusion and shamed into silence, never daring to even question things we have, until this point always held to be true. Now, we cannot allow gender ideology or any political ideology to become an unquestionable religion if we hope to maintain a truly free and diverse society. While no one should ever be bullied or denied their God-given rights, to say that it is unacceptable and even hateful to question the prevailing gender ideology is a form of gaslighting, and it asks us to pretend as if the modern understanding of gender has always been so. Compassion cannot exist outside of reality, and thus we all benefit by open and honest discussion on these very hard topics. Thank you everyone for listening, and remember, treat everyone with kindness. And make sure you never trade doing what looks right for doing what is right. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy that you were here and and hanging out with Michaela and I in the studio. We just wanted to let you know where you could follow along Something Burger Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Something Burger Podcast. And if you have any questions or you want to hang out with us any other time, um, you can email us at uh, somethingburgerpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Something's going